essentially any way you could think we used to play probably 10, 15 years ago, it's completely different. Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Before we jump in today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been associated with their products for a few years now, and I'm really impressed by their innovative and user-friendly shooting machines. They also are great people with tremendous customer service. It's no wonder why they have become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show. Make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com and at Dr. Dish B-Ball on social media. Be sure to mention WBCA when ordering your next Dr. Dish to save an extra $300 off any commercial purchase. Coach Onensen, welcome to the Hoop Nerds. Hey, honored to be on here. Thank you for having me, Billy. Uh, I'm excited because people who I know fairly well, I always learn a few new things about them. So this will be an interesting process for me as well. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me about your first time you remember coaching something and a lesson or a story that sticks with you from that. Okay, first time, you know, I was trying to jog my memory back. I was out recruiting yesterday, so I was able to listen to a few of your podcasts. And the first moment that popped up, and some people are going to laugh, some people are going to um, probably resonate with what this says, but it was NBA Live, forming my own team, um, being the general manager, making the trades, making sure the Chicago Bulls had the dynasty and won every game they played, as well as um, NCAA March Madness basketball. I think it started on the Sega Genesis, evolved to the PlayStation. I think even when it was Sega, I think it was Coach K college basketball. But, you know, being a coach's kid, my dad was a high school and college coach. I grew up in the gym. Went to coaching clinics with him. I still remember being in Indiana um, at a coaching clinic with my dad and sitting in the front row and trying to lean forward um, to watch the demonstrators and actually falling down on my face on the court down at Indiana and having the embarrassment of the little five, six, seven-year-old boy trying to pick his chair back up as these college guys are playing, hooping, and, you know, I'm just trying to learn and, and take it all in and, and trying to be a college basketball player. So that would probably be my first, you know, time was was running a team, those via video games. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's a great way to, to learn and grow and figure out how you can kind of form your dynasty. Um, and I tell you what, I never lost because as I was about to lose, I would just turn the switch off, Billy, and turn it back on so we can make sure we went 82-0. and all one year with the Chicago Bulls. So it was pretty fun. There's a sore loser, I know. Yeah, yeah. But in any case, you know, being a college basketball teammate of mine, you know, I did not like to lose a whole heck of a lot. So uh, I made sure I won. And I won a lot, you know, in in my own bedroom playing video games. So, I mean, there's something interesting there because obviously esports is big now and competitive video gaming at the college level. But one thing that's lacking, in my opinion, right, my opinion here is... Kids just don't watch basketball enough, whether it's on TV or in person, because they always have the device and and you were doing it in a different fashion where it was still basketball, but it was something that you were controlling. So it's still an element of you being involved in understanding how the game works, which I think obviously was help, helpful in your development. 
So from falling on your face in Indiana, which I'm thankful you shared with us now, <laughs> to where you are now, can you share your coaching journey and how it's led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, when I was a student athlete at UW Lacrosse, I was very uncertain with what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and we'll probably go into that a little bit later in the podcast about finding your why, right? And that's what we try and do a lot with our guys. But I was a pre-med major. You know, I, I had a, a few knee injuries, a few surgeries. Um, I had some mental health issues with anxiety when I was a, when I was a high schooler slash college player. And man, I was just confused. So as I was studying to, to be a doctor, to be a surgeon, to be a pharmacist, I don't know, I was going off of what everybody else was telling me I should do based off of my skill set. I had this little inkling in the back of my mind that I just, I couldn't get away from the game. And I ended up um, coaching a AAU team while I was in college out of central Wisconsin, um, kind of back in my hometown. So in the off season, on the weekends, I went back and, and started coaching, um, started uh, learning how to form a team, how to coach. I believe my first team was a, a 15U team and had a blast. Uh, I just love those, those young men. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. And it was a different way, I think, to stay a part of the game other than playing. And as I got finished with my um, college playing career, I did an internship. Um, at Viterbo University for a full semester. And that was um, unbelievable for me because I was able to learn the ins and outs of an athletic department. That was at the time I was trying to apply for, you know, different types of med schools, trying to figure out really what I wanted to do with my life. And when I started at the athletic, Viterbo Athletic Department, I realized I don't want to leave sports. You know, my career is about to end. I wasn't a good player, but I just loved being a part of a group. You know, you were a freshman. I was a senior. We had a ball, right? I mean, it was a lot of fun just being a part of something bigger than yourself. So one of my... Can we, can we pause there? Sure. And talk yeah. about UW Superior real quick. <laughs> oh. So I'll yeah. set the table. <laughs> Playing at UW Superior is never fun because it's a long trip and it's cold. And we proverbially didn't get off the bus in the first half. Our coach, Ken Cable, comes in at halftime says some things were not so nice, called everyone out about what they didn't do and carried on and stormed out. You stood up and took over. Okay. Tell, tell me about like that for you to have the gumption to stand up and essentially coach us. We went on to win the game, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because there's some memories I think I just blocked out of, out of my brain. I think that may have been one of them. You brought it up last summer one time, and I kind of chuckled like I don't remember that. But I, I think behind the scenes, I think there's a couple, times, a couple types of leadership, right? Like there's coaches who name captains, and there's the on-the-floor on the leaders, and there's guys who are the leading scorer, right? So you're supposed to be the team captain. But what I've learned over time is as a coach, you can't control the stuff that goes on in the locker room, right? And I think the one thing um, my senior year that I feel like I did a really good job behind closed doors um, in the dark when nobody was watching was trying to set the table, was trying to keep the team together. Although I was a senior captain who never played or didn't play a whole heck of a lot, um, and maybe on the surface, it looked like I was, you know, probably not as happy as I could be. I think behind the scenes, and you would probably reiterate this, is I worked really, really hard to keep the team together. I worked hard to set the table. 
um, to make sure that we were a together group, that the freshmen weren't feeling excluded from the seniors. I mean, case in point, Billy, um, we were only together for seven months and we've been lifelong friends now. So I think there's a lot that can be done in a locker room um, with a group of guys and you don't have to be the best player to lead. So I, although I don't remember a whole heck of a lot from that halftime speech, I, I do remember that although I wasn't the best player on the team, guys still looked to me to lead. And I felt like that was a time where I need to step up. I need to find a way to bring us together, right, to, to find a way to, to win the game. And I'm very thankful we did that. I don't remember it, but maybe, you know, that's a good thing that I've had so many um, highs and lows in this coaching profession over the last 20 years that I don't remember the one game at UW-Superior where we didn't get off the bus like we normally would never get off the bus uh, sometimes on the road. Because it's hard to win on the road, whether you're playing – the WIC, um, when I coached in the NSIC, it was hard to win on the road. We played Friday, Saturday, um, and even in the NAC. I mean, it's a highly competitive league where if you can win half your road games in all your home games, you're probably winning a conference championship. It's so dang hard to win on the road. Yeah, and, and I think that story out. sticks with me partly. And, and I would bet that a majority of our teammates don't remember that story either. But being someone you and I are similar minded and also having the coaching aspirations and background that stuck with me. And whatever you said to Tim Owen to come out and score 20, whatever points in the second half, it worked. And, and you've done that throughout your career with other people because you've had some success. So I cut you off at Viterbo. Please carry on. On a Tim Owen story, I do remember multiple times Tim Owen not really wanting to try out or stay on the team. I do remember having a lot of din dinners with Tim Owen, convincing him that it would be a good thing for him to stay on the team or try out for the team because I knew how great of a player in person that guy was for our program. So, yeah, I remember doing a lot of uh, having a lot of talks with guys off the court uh, about just sticking it out, you know, um, embracing the failure, right, putting everything out there and just in, enjoying the process. So, yeah, continuing on from Viterbo, um, one of our former uh, college teammates, uh, was Jason Kemp. He was the um, second assistant at Minnesota State University in Moorhead. Um, as I was trying to get into this coaching industry, um, he took a position at North Dakota State University as a director of basketball operations. So the Sunday after I graduated, I remember driving up to Williston State College. It's uh, uh, NJCAA Junior College in Williston, North Dakota. I remember going up and interviewing with a phenomenal coach, um, an administrator named Terry Olson, and he offered me the job. It was supposed to be a full-time job. I mean, it was an amazing situation. I still cannot believe I turned it down, but God works in all ways, right? And it was pretty cool how it worked out, but um, offers me this full-time job. And then in the meantime, um, Jason goes to North Dakota State. Uh, our first coach was Stu Wingen. So Stu called me up and said, hey, on your way back down, I know you're in Williston. You want to come back down and, and meet with me and talk about a position that Jason um, held. Drive back down. The next day I meet in Moorhead, Minnesota, um, in the Fargo-Moorhead area. Love that area. And Stu literally says, hey, I can't offer you full time. I can offer you $6,000 a year and six graduate school credits. And I would like you to be my second assistant. So I drive the 12 hours back home and take a couple days to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do with my life. And lo and behold, I still cannot believe I did this, Billy. I gave up a, a great job at Wilson State College and took the second assistant job at Minnesota State University with Stu. 
Um, and I still remember making the phone call, one of the hardest phone calls I ever had to make to Terry Olson and said, hey, I'm really sorry. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I have to turn your job down because I'm going to take um, this job at Minnesota State. I said, but I know you're mad, but I think I can make your life better because I have a, a friend in mind who I think is better than me. You know, he, he didn't play college basketball, but he's been coaching in, you know, the grassroots circuit. And he is a phenomenal coach. He's a friend of mine. I've watched him coach. I've watched him work with players. He's just flat out better than me. His name was Eric Peterson. He is currently the head coach at the University of South Dakota. Luckily, I cannot believe Terry did this, but he listened and picked up the phone for Eric. And the rest is history. Eric has had a phenomenal career. He was one of the most successful coaches, head coaches at Wilson State College. Um, been assistant at South Dakota, Utah State, Utah. Now he's in his first year at South Dakota. And, and lo and behold, um, he kind of, some of my friends went up to division one level. And as, as I got my feet wet at Minnesota State University in Moorhead, I loved it. I love the division two world. It's way different than division three. You can, you know, you have the off season workouts, um, you have scholarships. And it literally felt like Billy, I was playing March Madness or NBA Live. Now it's NBA 2K, right? It thought it was phenomenal. However, I got married during that year. And, and my wife, Brian, did not love the Fargo-Moorhead area. It was really far away from home. I never cared about levels. That that was never something that mattered to me. As I got into this, I was just like, I just want to coach hoops. Like, I want to coach college hoops. I want to be a college coach. Um, and I remember my first master's degree paper. Um, I wrote in a, in a leadership reflection that I wanted to be the youngest coach in the country. And, you know, I took a gamble. Um, I went to Lakeland University after one year as a second assistant at Minnesota State Moorhead, worked for another phenomenal coach in Cal Brummett. Uh, he was in the final NCAA Division Three Final Four this year. And in our second year, we won the conference tournament championship. Uh, he was able to get the head coaching job at Defiance College. And lo and behold, at age 25, I was able to get promoted to the head coach at Lakeland University. Fast forward nine years, um, had, a, had a great nine-year run at Lakeland University. Um, the position came open at Wisconsin Lutheran College, um, and I'm currently entering my, my sixth year here um, as the head coach. So lots of stuff we can talk about in between. Uh, but yeah, I've pretty much been a head coach my whole coaching career. It's been unique because obviously as a 25-year-old young man, you don't know what you don't know. And I do definitely know I was not ready. Uh, for that position. But, you know, looking back on it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've loved the people I've met, the relationships I've been able to form, and the journey's been unbelievable. As many listeners know, I spent over six years as a general manager at Just the Game Fieldhouse in Wisconsin Dells. I was able to spend time talking hoops with coaches like Tom Izzo, along with high school and youth coaches, in addition to meeting some basketball legends, including my childhood favorite, Sam Elke who is in the WBCA Hall of Fame and High School Basketball Museum, located at Just a Game Fieldhouse, which is a must-visit for any true hoop nerd. They also play host to the WBCA All-Star Games and Coaches Clinic every year. Just a Game hosts over 70 basketball and volleyball tournaments annually and is a great place to play for teams of all ages and ability levels. You can't beat all Wisconsin Dells has to offer in your free time. The Fieldhouse also has two sister companies in Just a Game Impressions and Just a Game Live. Just a Game Impressions specializes in customized screen printing and embroidery and promotional products. They serve businesses, schools, sports teams, and more. Just a Game Live takes pride in providing affordable and simple live streaming solutions for venues or programs of all kinds. Inquire today for more information. 
For more info on everything Just a Game has to offer, check them out at justagamefieldhouse.com. Sideline Interactive delivers digital and LED scoring tables and video boards that generate excitement in your gym and the ultimate game day experience for your players and fans. We provide you the blueprint and the game plan to generate $10,000 or more in sponsorship revenue every year. 95% of our schools generate enough advertising dollars during the first school year to pay for their purchase. Any school or college can qualify for no fee, no interest financing over two school years. We're ready and able to deliver your order to you within three to four weeks. The tables and boards can be used for any indoor sport, as well as watching game films, school assemblies, signing days, or any other event that is held in your gym. Visit sidelineinteractive.com or call 832-786-0302 to schedule a 15 to 30 minute live web demo to see our tables and boards in action and what these fantastic products can do for you. Or email sales at sidelineinteractive.com. A link to sidelineinteractive.com is in the show notes for today's episode. Well, and Lakeland gave you the opportunity to fail. And I would also argue 25-35, you're never ready to be a head coach the first time because you just haven't experienced it and you have to go through it. So with the experience, I'm curious about something that you've changed from maybe as an assistant coach or as a young head coach that you're doing different now because you learned something or you were presented new information so that you can help your team improve. Okay, let's start by saying everything. How's that for you, Billy? <laughs> so we'll touch on a few topics, but I think it's just important that, you know, at age 25, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I did not know. And I think at age 39, there's even more stuff that I do not know. And I think I'm more okay with saying I don't know um, than I was at 25. And even being, again, growing up with the game, going to coaching clinics, watching coaching videos and DVDs with my dad, who's, you know, one of my biggest uh, mentors in, in my life, I've had to change everything. Right. So even just start defensively. Right. I, since I am, you could probably call it a quote unquote hoop nerd. I have the monthly subscription to championship productions. I listen to probably five or six basketball podcasts on my way down to work every single day. Um, yours is one of them. One of the best, Billy. You're one of the best in the business. But defensively, I used to be a pack line, uh, you know, Coach Boone. Right. I have the, the five pack series uh, of his stuff. I mean, I was a huge pack line guy uh, when I was at Lakeland. Completely changed. Right. The last few years, uh, we pressed 94 feet for 40 minutes a game. Now we switch most screens. Essentially, any way you could think we used to play probably 10, 15 years ago, it's completely different. Right. And a lot of it is just my knowledge um, and how I feel that the game can be played more effectively and allowing our guys to play more free, so to speak. So I think with that in mind, it's allowed our guys to play more free, more aggressive when you can play that way. Um, and it's allowed us to work on some more skill development things. Offensively, right? I used to be a, a screening guy, uh, try and set as many screens as you can, move the ball around, right? Try and get to a fifth, sixth side. Um, even though we wanted to play fast at Lakeland, we were really concerned with ball control. Now it's space and pace right? It's the conceptual offense. It's teaching guys how to play, how to read, you know, a large advantage to a small advantage to a neutral position, right? Um, how to use your footwork to gain a small advantage. What are the protection plans inside the various zones inside, you know, the drop zone versus the drag zone. And, and we've kind of run a hybrid Princeton dribble drive, 
I love some Davidson actions. So really, I've just kind of taken a bunch of stuff from different coaches, tried to put it together. Some years it works, Billy. Some years uh, it doesn't. But every year I feel like I'm evolving, you know, ranking a few tweaks to the offensive end this year that I think could be can be more effective. I, I'm hopeful that we can be more efficient, right? I look at the skill development part. I changed everything from that area, you know, just studying European coaches, studying the Division One coaches, studying like what works right with your biomechanics of your, of your body how we treat our guys right like you know our, our big theme right now is joy right and you know being a father of three uh, you know the love aspect of things you know we want to love our guys so you know our biggest thing i tell all of our coaches is you know it's got to be the highlight of their day before they walk in their gym in our gym it's got to be the highlight of their day and you know we have a lot of extremely intelligent um, student athletes at WLC. We have a lot of future doctors. You know, we have some guys who are going into law school. We have teachers. We have guys who are huge into the finance industry, right? So sometimes they come from class at 3.30 and their brains are, are struggling, right? Maybe they got in a fight with their girlfriend right before. So our job really from 3.30 to 3.45 when practice hits is to try and get them to put a smile on their face. Right. So it's making sure, you know, every guy that walks in the gym, I make sure I give them knocks, I dap them up, I put my arm around them, I look them in the eye and I try and figure out how they're doing. Because you can tell a lot just by talking to a guy for 25, 30 seconds, how they're doing. And then, you know, we have to adjust our coaching based off of how their day is going. Right. Because uh, if they're having a rough day, you know, maybe we need to find a way to, to get them in the office after. Maybe we have to bring them in. Maybe we need to do different things to get through to that um, young man. So overall, you know, I, I've read a lot of books throughout, throughout the years, too, about like how to get to players. Really, the love aspect is, is key. The more we've been able to love our guys, the more we've been able to coach our guys. Two things in there I need to pull out, and, and we're going to come back to this, the, the love aspect. But... Can you define large, small, neutral advantage, and then also how you go about teaching your players to understand what that looks like in a game situation? Yeah, I mean, those are great questions, Billy. You know, I think the first thing is, is we're trying to play really fast, right? And we're trying to, trying to get the ball ahead, and we want to try and keep that advantage going as quickly as possible. So number one, you obviously want to create long closeouts. Whatever offense you're running, right, you want long closeouts. So that's goal one is to get a long closeout, okay? If you can't get a long closeout or you can't get an advantage where a big advantage is your shoulders are past your primary defender's advantage, right? A small advantage is where you are shoulder to shoulder with your primary defender. A neutral or no advantage, right, is where you're either shoulder to chest or chest to chest. If you're in that shoulder to chest or chest to chest, you know, type position, you have to move the basketball, right? If, if you're dribbling it, there are times though, when the ball is moving, you're not going to be able to get an advantage based off of, you know, your first step. So we want to work on first step number one with our guys. So, you know, this summer in my training stuff, I'm doing it next year. We're going to two stances, a shot ready stance and a split stance. You watch the high level NBA guys. Right. When you really break it down, they're probably in one of two stances. So watch the NBA finals. Right. You're going to see some guys they are trying to catch to shoot, pass or dribble. And some guys, they are catching to drive it. So trying to teach those decision making reads as quickly as possible. Getting our guys to understand that you don't have to make a play 
off of the first pass. It's me first for us, right? It's kind of a, a Doug Novak slogan. You want to move it. You know, we want to get the ball. If we can't find an advantage, get to a second, third, maybe fourth side. That's where some of the Princeton reads come in. Mm-hmm. So we can try and find a longer closeout to gain an advantage. Now, as we're driving it, we talk a ton, Billy, about feeling our primary defender, seeing the secondary defender. So when you feel your primary defender, right, you should be literally trying to make contact. You're trying to veer. You're trying to get that big advantage where your shoulders or your body's going past your defender's body, right? Not a lot of times that doesn't happen. You're probably in some sort of a small advantage type situation. But as you're feeling you're driving, you want to be seeing what's going on with your secondary defenders. So we're constantly doing um, a ton of drills that emulate this, right? So it could be simple as two on two, three on three, four on four, five on five. I, I play a ton of games now. Another area where I've switched from my first time as head coach at Lakeland to now, we play a lot. We compete a lot. Some people say, well, you're playing all the time, coach. Well, yeah. The 2022 student athlete, they don't want to do one-on-oh drills. They want to compete. They want to play. They want to have fun. So let's teach them concepts that they can learn and play. And then, and then we can break the game down and say, hey, you know, say we're playing four on four or five on five. Hey, this is the read, right? Did you, what, did, what were you seeing? What were you feeling? That's what I ask guys a lot, not in a negative way, but like, Hey, what's your thought process here? And sometimes I'm going to praise them and say, Hey, phenomenal read. Other times, you know, I, I don't really yell at my guys a whole lot. I'm like, okay, so what are you thinking here? You know, let's, let's press rewind. Let's press pause. Let's recreate this action. What is something, you know, maybe we could have looked for that you did not see because the game of basketball is happening so fast, whether you're coaching group of fifth graders or, or college guys, there is a ton of stuff going on, you know, in, in basketball is very reaction based. So if they're thinking a lot guaranteed, they can't go as hard as they could if they're not thinking. So we want to teach them how to play with those reads. So it's natural. There's a ton of different stuff I do to kind of build it up. But every day we play one-on-one, every day we do some sort of advantage, disadvantage drills to get our guys to learn how to attack those short and long closeouts. Um, and some coaches like to call it dominoes, kind of keep, try and keep those dominoes falling. Um, and when you can teach that, that's when the game is really fun because, you know, because we do press. So there are times, you know, in, in the first half where, you know, I have, I have short hair, but I'm really pulling my hair out because we get down quickly because our reads aren't good defensively. We may have given up a few layups. And then offensively, maybe we're attacking some really bad neutral situations where we're taking, you know, not as good of shots as we could. And and that's the blessing and the curse of the system we're running right now. It's, It's so read and reactionary based, right? It can go really, really well, or sometimes it can go really, really poor. Are you doing anything with your players to identify, hey, your primary role is driving you should primarily be looking for catch and shoot based on skills, or is it all, all off of feel and all off their reads from, from their large, small and neutral reads? All of the above. Right. So I, I think, you know, that's the beauty of classic Aaron Onnenson answer is I'm not going to answer the question, but I'll answer the question. All right. I had to say that. Correct. <laughs> yeah. You, you know me, I don't answer a lot of questions. Well, um, I'll probably dance around it or not, not answer the question completely. But we do a lot of shooting, right? We have uh, a couple state-of-the-art cocker dishes 
right? So in season, you can get a lot of shots up, you know, and we can see some of your percentages, right? We shoot every day in practice. So, I mean, there's, I mean, we can deep dive in this a ton, Billy, about what your unguarded shooting percentage is and how it correlates to your guarded shooting percentage based off of your shot selection, right? Uh, and based off of gameplay. You know, some guys, there might be a 25% melt um, from their um, practice shooting percentage or unguarded to their game shooting percentage. I've done these stats before. I, I love analytics. Some guys, there may be up to a 40% drop off or melt from their um, game, excuse me, their practice shooting percentage to their game shooting percentage. And a lot of, again, is based off of um, the reads they're making. So, you know, we've had great shooters that can make 70 or 75% unguarded, but sometimes they're a 30 to 33% shooter guarded. And so we really want to work hard on what is a good shot for them. And some guys, they shoot 45 to, you know, 50% unguarded and that course still correlates to 30 to 35 percent because they only shoot the shots they know they can make so we, we base a lot of stuff with film too so we're trying to pair a lot of those reads we make and we'll show a lot of film and we show a lot of success film too of guys doing things right right and we want to highlight that i'm a big glass half full guy that used to not be who i was right when i was a teenager struggling with some of my anxiety right was i always see the glass half empty Right. But you probably know me in college. We're also trying to see the silver liners, trying to see like the bright side of things. So, you know, we, we do a lot of different things, Billy, to try and teach those reads. And some years were great and some years were not so great. But I do know that it's a really fun way to play. Um, our guys have enjoyed it a lot. Right. And it allows them to hopefully think less, play more.